Well, thank you so very much. We are honored to have um, these Chinese students in our in our ministry, a part of our congregation and body, and it is a uh, great gift and responsibility at the same time uh, to be able to enjoy their presence. And one of the great things about it is, uh, because of that, we get to celebrate two New Years, right? So uh, go and party around night, um, enjoy it. <clears throat> I want to share with you a few things. I've been, uh, I was away for a bit. I've been ill, so is my wife and I. We've been ill for about the last two weeks. Um, I haven't been hit with something so hard as this in, in I don't know how long, and it made me realize what a gift of health is and made me really empathize with people who are chronically ill or struggling with illness in my heart, just in my prayers are for you. Um, I, I say that because it wasn't COVID. Uh, it was a gift probably from one of our grandchildren. <laughs> you know, those kids are great, aren't they? I think the doctor said I, it could probably be RSV because it isn't COVID as the test came back. Um, but I'm grateful for health and grateful for that. I do want to share with you just a few things before we begin, just things I want you to know about what God is doing. And one of those things is this. Last week we began on a Wednesday night uh, the Legacy Bible class. And for those of you who are parents and you're online, I'm encouraging you to think about um, your responsibility in engaging in the opportunity to form spiritually through the word of God uh, your children's lives. And so Wednesday night's a great opportunity to do that. That that legacy Bible class throughout years has been a wonderful thing, both parents and kids. So I think it's second, first and second graders enjoy together. And, and so that's something I want to share with you. Also, this next Wednesday night, we're going to continue with the Chinese New Year theme, and we'll be having food and a, a time to get together on Wednesday night around that. So I encourage you to come this Wednesday night to be a part of that. Last Thursday night, some of you had the opportunity as we're we're just finishing today the 21 days of making space for God through fasting and praying and, and however the Lord would lead you to make that space. We worship together as a group and a congregation, and um, it was just an, a great experience. So I'm going to encourage you on these community events as best you can. Um, grab onto those. Um, they will have a way of encouraging you and transforming your life. I do want to mention one other thing, and that is on February 13th, that Sunday, following the service, we have our mid-year congregation meeting, and uh, it is our business meeting, and it should probably be about a half hour as we go through some of our financial stuff, as well as the three resets uh, that we would love to bring you up to date on, specifically on the name change, and then also this area of staffing with regard to executive pastor. So please mark that down, be a part of it. It will be on live stream as well for those of you who are um, still joining through live stream, and you can be a part of it. I think that's about all I wanted to share with you with regard to so much other stuff going on, but those are some highlights. Let me pray. Father, I just ask now that as we look at your word, this coming to the uh, final verses of this book of Acts, which we've been studying, and we have been talking about what it means to speak Jesus, bringing you, Jesus, into our conversations. I would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. 
and that you would lead us and guide us as a people, as individuals, into people who are filled with hope and share that hope, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. We thank you that you are faithfully present, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things I wanted, uh, as I was thinking about this last um, chapter of Acts, Acts is this incredible book that has just all these different stories of where um, people spoke about Jesus and shared about Jesus and the work of Jesus and, and what was happening. And I, I had the question in my mind is, if you could write a chapter in the Bible of Acts, in this book, um, about your life, what would it say? Now some of you go, chapter? Okay, maybe a couple verses. And I honestly think by the way that you would do it, you might look at it from your perspective, but what if you um, look at it maybe from God's perspective, his thoughts about your life right now? I, I challenge you to think about that because as you come to these final lines that we have in the book of Acts, many scholars are um, perplexed. It's a bit of a conundrum when you come to Acts and you read these final lines you you'll find um that it it ends really rather abruptly listen listen to acts 28 verse 30 through 31 for the next 2 years paul lived in rome at his own expense and he welcomed all who visited him boldly proclaiming the kingdom of god and teaching about the lord jesus christ and no one tried to stop him he's doing it boldly without hindrance and that leaves lots of questions. Why end right there? And, and, and many um, New Testament scholars have kind of batted out their ideas around what that would mean. Why would he end like that? Was it um, that maybe Paul, at the end of that, faced his death? Was Paul set free? Did Paul end up fulfilling what he always wanted to do and bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, which would have been Spain in his own known world? What was going on? Why that ending? Luke writes, for two whole years. That's kind of, you can translate it this way. For two whole years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense and welcomed people who visited him there. One commentator writes, it's obvious that Luke knows how Paul's trial and judicial case ended. And this is evidenced by the historian's reference to two whole years. He knew that it came to an end, and there was more to it, but he ended the book there. And as one scholar writes, why the silence? There's really no firm, complete, definitive answer that you can give to this. There are a number of what I would call educated guesses, and some of those that I mentioned could be true. But I think one of the most obvious, and one that scholars will often um, add to it, is that that in some way, whether Luke was ending it there to write another book or not, the Holy Spirit wanted it to end right there. For a purpose. The Holy Spirit left an abrupt ending purposely so that he could kind of leave it open so that, in a sense, this kingdom, which was expanding throughout the world, would continue on and on and on until Jesus comes again. This idea that there are more chapters being written. Think about it this way. Acts doesn't end, but every generation gets to write their own chapter. 
That's why I had you think for a second, what would your sentence possibly be in that chapter? What would our church's sentence be in that chapter? What would our city's churches be like in that chapter? How is our generation writing this chapter? And how is the emerging generations going to write this chapter? What does it look like? We'll stand in heaven someday and people will read these different chapters and it'll come to chapter 1,000 whatever or 2,020. I don't know what chapter it'll be on. But here's the truth. We get to write our own chapter. We get to co-author the book of Acts with God. Think about it. That's what God has called us into. So what I want to do is when we speak about speaking Jesus and bringing Jesus into the conversation, I want to share with you what I would call our four things that we should know, what I would call four constants that are found in every chapter, every generation that you should be aware of. And in the roadmap will be simply this. There is a king, okay, who uses witnesses, who reaches people, until a final end or a final chapter is written. That's kind of how you can think about the progression of this. And so the first thing I want to do is just share with you this truth. God is on the move, extending his kingdom throughout the world. If you look at Acts and you look specifically at that 28th chapter, you'll notice two things that it says there. It says that Paul preached the kingdom of God, or he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how it ends. Basically, the idea is this. Here's what's going to continue to be taught throughout each chapter. Don't forget, there is God on the move. He's extending his kingdom, and he's doing it through a king. So that that verse that we heard here, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God. He's basically making a simple point. There's a kingdom above all kingdoms and powers on this earth. That's true for every generation. And then it says that Paul taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those are not like the middle, you know, first, middle, and last name of Jesus. There's a specific reason that, that he uses this, Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you have to understand this. This is happening. He is teaching and proclaiming this in Rome, where there is an emperor, Nero, who is putting people to death for their faith. At this point, I don't believe it was to the point where there was a massive persecution against the believers. That's going to come, and that's when I think Paul does actually die. But at this point, it's beginning to ramp up, and it's ramping up somewhat because of the teaching that says there is a kingdom that is greater than the kingdom of Rome and any other kingdom that exists on this earth or will exist on this earth. And there is a king. And so that name, Lord Jesus Christ, is incredibly important. When we speak Jesus, here's what we're speaking. Lord means this. He is the king. In that realm, he was saying Jesus is king. And he is king anointed by God. The Holy Spirit. Now, that's an incredibly important thing to understand. Not only is this this kingdom that is greater than all the kingdoms of the world. You think of all the kingdoms today, whether it be the U.S. or China or our struggle with Russia right now. All these different kingdoms and all these political powers and all these governments. There is one kingdom that rules over all. Not by laws, but by love through the heart that transforms people. Right? 
And when enough people get God in their heart, then they begin to express the laws and goodness of God. Jesus never made his primary activity to try and change the political realm, even in Jerusalem. He didn't, as Paul, as we see, didn't even go to Rome trying to change the political court and system. He recognized and stated the truth when he spoke Jesus. He said, guess what? There is a kingdom above every kingdom. And not only this, there is a King Jesus anointed by God. He didn't get there through some election. He didn't get there by some, some clever maneuvering politically. He didn't get there by intimidating and manipulating his way to the top. He got there because God anointed him and ordained him to be the king over this kingdom that extends over every generation, even when other earthly kingdoms fall. So the very first thing you see as we think about this concept, there is a constant. And part of our message when we speak Jesus is Jesus is king. And this king is loving and good. And not only is this king loving and good, he does what no other king has ever done. He is willing to die for you because you matter to him. He recognizes the fact that you need him and your life due to your own sin and your own selfishness is created, you know, if you get honest about it, you go, I have created enough messes. And my sin has separated me enough, not just from God, but from other people. I need, I need the rule of one who can transform my heart and cause me to understand what it means to love and to build my character. And to grow and become like Jesus himself. And so as you talk to people, here's the reality. There is a king. His name is Jesus. And he rules in a kingdom that is far different than the values that we see in our world today. Who is loving, kind, good, gracious, and yet truthful about our own condition about our own sin, about our own need of him. And so that's the first thing. As you see, that's a constant you see throughout Scripture. In fact, if you go on, you'll see that that in, in, in Acts, you'll, you'll find that um, as Jesus is, is, is Jesus speaks to him, he, he basically says, if I can find in my notes here, Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. He says it right in the beginning of the in the beginning of Acts. He says, "So when the apostles were with Jesus, Jesus kept asking. They kept asking him, Lord, has time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? What kingdom do you think they're thinking about? They think about the kingdom of Israel. They're thinking again about a political power. What was happening that was so unique that has happened is that that God through Jesus separated political powers because He just knew that man's political power would always be." corrupted. And so he separated that and brought up to us this spiritual kingdom that will someday be revealed in a, in a kingdom that comes in fullness. But because of that, he, they're asking this question. Listen to Jesus' response. He replied, he doesn't even answer their question anymore because he knows that it's not going to come for a long time, at least as we read through Acts, do they begin to understand that these two are not tied together and that God is separating not only just Israel, and it wasn't about a political kingdom there, nor would it be about a political kingdom like Rome, but it would be about this place of hearts in the kingdom of God. And so he replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And Jesus is saying, I don't even know, and they're not for you to know. 
doesn't really even answer their question. And then the next thing that I think is interesting is you go on, and you'll see here that he, he says God is on the move, and the way he primarily does it is, is this message that Jesus is king, which we speak Jesus in this kingdom, but he does this particularly through witnesses. And, and that's what we see. The, the very ending, as it abruptly ends, is still Paul witnessing to the world that he's in, the people that are around him as he's chained to Roman soldiers and to others who visit him, boldly and without hindrance. He's telling them about Jesus being king, about the fact that he can rule in their life and the fact that he can forgive them of their sin, for the fact that they can actually have a relationship with God and know the peace of God in the midst of the circumstances they're in. And that's how he ends. It's not too similar than that what, what Paul is doing um, when, uh, when, when he is told his marching orders. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16, you find out that here Paul it comes to Damascus, has this bright light, he's blinded, um, he's waiting for a message from the Lord. God calls a guy named Annas, and, and it says in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this guy. All the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with his authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias. Now this has got to be one of the hardest assignments to go witness to the Lord for. He said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to what? Speak Jesus, proclaim the name of Jesus. Simply what he calls them to do. To the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. And then, catch this line, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ouch. We don't like that, do we? I mean, I don't, I, I'll speak Jesus to people, but as long as they, you know, still think you know, that I'm not really such a weirdo. Well, I don't want them to think I'm some religious fanatic. Ouch. Does it really mean that we might suffer some? Well, Ananias does it. And God's on the move, and this is what he's been doing from the very beginning. If you look again at Acts chapter um, 1, and, and those verses that um, are right in the beginning, he moves from that place, and he, if you can find Acts 1, he says, but you will receive power. So he doesn't answer the question, but he says, this is it, guys. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. There is a king, and we are called to be witnesses. Simply telling people about Jesus and just bring him into the conversation. I was um, a part of a Wednesday night group that's been meeting. We've been meeting together with Zion Baptist Church on, on, and doing a course for a number of weeks on reconciliation. We have a teacher who's leading us, and there's about 15 or 20 in each of the churches. So we have this group coming together, and some of you know that we've been meeting with some churches in the North Minneapolis area seeking to bring together, um, uh, due to what happened um, in our racial discontent just a couple of years ago, saying, God, how can we in the suburbs begin to manifest the presence of God in North Minneapolis? And what does it mean for us as a people to be a witness 
And not everybody's a part of that, but there's a number of people within our church who are. How do we live this reconciled life? Well, the teacher was teaching, and he was just talking about the fact of our witness. And I think the witness is really powerful. I experience it when we're together. But he just said, you know, witness is an interesting thing. Um, it's really hard to to um, debate someone's story, right? When someone starts telling you their story, it's pretty tough. And he said, in fact, if you go to John chapter 9, when this guy who was born blind um, and from birth is blind, and Jesus comes to him and heals him. And as he's healed, Jesus leaves. This guy is excited. His parents are excited. And then the Pharisees and scribes come in, and they're pretty upset. And so they start asking question after question. They got this blind guy, and they're drilling him with questions like, who is this Jesus guy? And he goes, I, I don't know. And then they said, <clears throat> like, where did he come from? I don't know. And what authority did he do? I, I don't know. They're just drilling him with questions. And finally, he's so He's so tired of all the questioning. I love what it says in, 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 in John. It says, whether this guy healed me is a sinner or not, I, I just don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. When, 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 when God says, I am bringing my kingdom and establishing my kingdom in the hearts of people. And and they're pointing to the fact that Jesus is king. And he's a good and loving and gracious king who wants to be involved in your life. And and wants to co-author your life just like you're co-authoring this Acts. He also comes on and he says, all I'm asking you to do is be a witness. When he says speak Jesus in the conversations, it's merely looking for opportunities when the Holy Spirit would prompt you. It means having an anticipation through the day, <clears throat> praying in the morning and saying, Lord Jesus, if there's opportunities for me to speak your name into a situation, because I know your name is more powerful than any name, would you give me an opportunity to do that? And he's not asking you to come up with some, you know, um, four-point, uh, you know, uh, theory and, and, and some kind of four-point argument or, or somehow that you need to have all the apologetic understanding behind why this is that. He just wants you to say what is real in your life. Have you experienced his peace? Have you experienced this incredible sense of favor and love from a God when you look at your own life and you know, hey, there is no way as I look at my own faithlessness that I in any way we deserve a God who is so faithful to me. Are there stories that, that are in your life that you can talk about that are occurring to you in your daily life where you can just say, here's how Jesus met me? Are you open and listening so that you can be a witness? In fact, you can be an expert witness in many cases. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm not saying you gotta have, you know, like, anybody watch like CSI or you watch some of these investigation shows, right? And then they call an expert witness and, and they'll come on and they'll talk all about, well, here's the, uh, the physics of this thing, which the bullet went this fast and it's this high and then you have this light. It's not, I'm not, he's not calling you to be that expert witness. You know what he might be calling you to be an expert witness about? There's a person who shares with you that they're struggling in their marriage and God has done a work in your marriage and you become the expert witness that does says, I'm not going to tell you how to fix your marriage, but I'm going to tell you there's someone who can help and I know some places you can get some help. And, and you don't even have to go that far. It may be <coughs> as simple as saying, you know what, would you be willing just to take a moment and pray with me about that? And I'm going to continue to pray for you. 
It may be that God has made you an expert witness because you've suffered for a number of years with some debilitating illness and that person is sharing with you what is happening to a loved one or to a child and you have the opportunity to be an expert witness because God's prepared you to share a story to speak Jesus into a conversation that you could have just gone, oh, that's really sad. I'm sorry to hear that. Are you willing to be an expert witness? Are you willing to share what God has done in your life? Are you willing to look for that? I love a quote by Dallas Willard when I talk about this idea of of Jesus being king. He says this. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. Catch that? We, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Oh yeah, I, I believe that Jesus is good and that we're supposed to share our faith. We don't believe something merely saying we believe it or even when we believe we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. We believe that Jesus is really king. As messed up as this world looks, and we don't become angry and get, some people may be focused and God may be calling them to, to be involved in changing statutes and laws or things in the government. But we don't, our primary, our primary purpose is like Jesus and that is how do we begin to move the kingdom into the hearts of people? What is it to say that Jesus is your king? And then, the next thing you see is that God shares this to all people. You know, it's really interesting. You kind of go, well, I share my story. didn't do anything. So what? You may have planted a seed. You think how many times Paul shared about Jesus and how few in some ways responded. Because here's, here's the thing. God is on the move throughout the world, extending his kingdom and sharing the fact that Jesus is king through witnesses like you and me. And here's what I want you to anyone who wants him. And we don't know who wants him a lot of times, right? In fact, we may not have the best discernment on that, but the Holy Spirit does. And he may prompt us. And he may prompt us to speak into a situation. And we may not even see the fruit of that. If you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And then he lists it off in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So you get this kind of like ripple effect of like um, the king has come and the kingdom has come in Jerusalem and it's just going to ripple out to the ends of the earth. And you can see that kind of happen as you go through the history of this book that Luke wrote called Acts. You find it beginning in Jerusalem and ending up in Rome. What I also find interesting as you go through this, you'll find that as you read through these chapters, Acts 1 through 8, you see the story of Jerusalem and then a brief just segment in Acts chapter 8 about it going to Samaria. And then you take from about chapter 8 and 9 
and on, you'll see it going into Antioch. So you see the center of Christianity seems to move. It's first in Jerusalem because of the history of God working with the people from, from Israel. And then you see it move to a place called Antioch. And from Antioch, they begin to share with other people who are not Jews, and they start to come to faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit actually speaks to them and says, I want you to keep spreading this to all different places throughout Asia Minor and through Greece and, and through the Mediterranean, and then eventually it goes to Rome. So you get to this picture of it moving from Jerusalem, then the center is to Antioch, and eventually we find through history it goes to Rome. It's as if the the gospel is constantly on the move. You ever think about that? That God's good news is constantly moving. I was preparing this and thinking about this, and when I was, it was a few weeks back prior to this illness, I was with my little grandson, my youngest grandson. And I want to tell you, as I was preparing and thinking about this, I'd just been with him, and I was thinking about how the gospel on the move, I just kept thinking to myself, it's like my little grandson. I sit down to read with him, and all of a sudden, he's moving to something else. And so then I sit down to play with this fire truck for a little bit, and he's on to something else. And it's like, if you read through Acts, it looks like God's just constantly moving. I was um, reading... In a book that I, I really think is a great book, if you want to take some people who are beginning to try and understand who is this Jesus, this book by John Ortberg called Who Is This Man is a really good um, good book on this. It goes through all different aspects of how Jesus changes changes the world. And um, one of the persons he... he um, quotes here is a man named Andrew Wall. He's a, a religious scholar and a, and a Christian scholar. Thank you. I thought I was over this. I was wondering where you were going. I was thinking, I still got a couple minutes. But Andrew Wall, he makes a statement. He says, the Jesus movement began in Jerusalem, but was embraced by unwashed Gentiles with such zeal that it began to move across the ancient Mediterranean to North Africa and Alexandria and Rome. Then more barbarians took it to heart and it began to expand to Northern Europe. And I'm a little offended by that because he's calling my ancestors barbarians, but he goes to Northern Europe and eventually to North America, right? You see how the center of the gospel just keeps moving? And then he says... When he's, and then he says, in the past century, the last hundred years, it has dramatically shifted again, the center of Christianity. The majority of Christians now live in the global south, Africa and South America, and in the east, China, our brothers and sisters who we celebrate today in so many house churches in so many ways. It just keeps moving. And, and so someone asked him, well, why is this? And he says, um, simply, he says, there is a certain vulnerability, uh, fragility at the heart of Christianity. You might say it's the vulnerability of the cross. The cross makes this incredible difference because of who the cross appeals to. And then he makes this statement. Where the faith has too much money and too much power for too long, it begins to spoil and the center moves on. Did you catch that? Another way to say it is when God's people get legalistic and they begin to 
lose their first love for him in relationship and it becomes all about looking good in the law and and, 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 and your relationship becomes about legalistic kind of, well, I did this for you, God, you know, and it's that kind of thing. It's not a heart thing. Or another way to say this, when people become self-sufficient, I don't need God, right? Thanks, God, you're really, you know, I in the trenches, I called out for you and you helped me, but now I got it all together now. Look at America today. We needed you at one point when the British were against us. And God's people focus on what I would call external behavior. We become religious and it's all about my approval in your eyes that I look religious enough and self-righteousness is all about patting yourself on the back. It's not about being completely, fully, 100% dependent on Jesus and his ability in all ways to save you. And that's why I want you to just hear the reason why God moves. It's really not that God moves. It's not that God moves away from people, but people move away from God. We leave God. He never leaves us. But he will pack up and go to places where people are wanting him. And and so Jesus is this king who has brought his kingdom. It's a kingdom that works in the hearts of people. And not only that, he uses witnesses through every generation to just share their stories, to be expert witnesses to others in order that he could reach all people. We don't know who that would be, but the Holy Spirit does. And so he prompts us as expert witnesses. And he prompts us to people who want him. And a lot of times people who want him are people who are broken. And they know that their marriage is a mess or they know that their character is flawed. They have habits of sin and addictions that they just can't deal with. And they know that they have such greed in their heart and they've done so well in business and they keep climbing the ladder but they realize there's no meaning and there's no purpose and as they're doing this, they're losing their family. They're not finding fulfillment. I don't know what it looks like. You can look successful or you can look broken and impoverished. But God's looking for people who want him. And he's looking for witnesses who will share that message to others. That's what you said as a church you wanted to do. You, you did a survey and, and we all said we want to we wanna reach our communities with this really good news of God's love. That he is the king. And we want to embrace the, and empower these generations that are coming up so that they can write a chapter and we can get them off to a really good start. We're willing to give away our church, our needs in order to reach that group as well. And then we, we said we want to do it all together. We just want to do this together. And that's really what we're about in these coming years. What does it look like to be a people who proclaim Jesus as king, who are willing to witness and then are willing to tell all people, knowing that God will go where, he, where he's wanted. We spent 21 days in a fast, right? And I think God looks at that and goes, I am so, and not because it's legalistic and we're trying to get God's attention. The reason you make space for God is in order for him to come into those places. It just is out of your deep hunger. And I believe God hears that. So I'm going to 
just end it with this. That Jesus comes up, and at the very end, he says to these disciples, as, as he ascends to heaven, and they're looking at him, and the angel comes, and he goes, what are you looking at? He's gone, and, he, and they go, um, uh, you know, what's, what's going on? He says, you'd get going and do what Jesus said, right? And then, and then he ends it by saying, in the same way that Jesus ascended, he will descend again. Folks, there will come a final chapter. We could be the last chapter. But there's a final chapter, and there is some urgency to what we're called to do. So I'm going to ask you to kind of say this commitment with me, and I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment. I'm going to first have you read this scripture with me. And then I want you to think about it, because I'm going to have a commitment. I don't want you to say it unless you mean it. I don't want you to say it because you believe it. I want you to say it because you believe and will act on it. And so here's what it says. Let's read this together. And being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now I want you to read this, just in your mind right now, read this. And I'm going to ask you to speak this out loud. This is just about your own commitment if you want to do this. But let's together, if you desire to be a part of this, let's just read this together. In obedience to Jesus, I will trust and act on the Holy Spirit's prompting to speak, Jesus. I will make you, Jesus, a part of my conversation this week and throughout this year. Father, thank you.